My daughter Lucy's current jam is Uptown Funk, which really, who doesn't tap their toes to that song? Along with singing slash yelling it in the car, she also breaks out in dance anytime it comes on. She's three, and I've noticed a difference in the way she dances. It's this loopy, rubber band-like gyrating that seems to mimic my husband's weird, lanky dancing. Which makes sense, since that's the person she sees dancing more than anyone else. At weddings, he swings her around the dance floor. In our living room, they put on these goofy fedoras, and they groove to funk or disco music. It's adorable and ridiculous, and in a few years, she's probably going to be the most awkward kid at her grade school dances. Think back to your first memory of dancing as a child. Maybe ballet, tap, jazz, tumbling classes. Probably more organized chaos than art, at least at first. Maybe dancing at a family wedding or in your living room. Dancing taps into something at the center of us. This is The Parent Coop, stories about parenting. No advice, no judgment, just stories. Today we have two stories about, you guessed it, dancing. One, a first dance. The other, preparing for the last. Here's the show. Um, And I just, I didn't, it didn't register with me at first until I was like driving home and I had put the CD in the car and I was on the way and then all of a sudden that song came on and it was just like a flood of memories came back to me and it just, my grandpa was my favorite person in the entire world and when he died it like destroyed me. Um, So it just kind of felt like it was my grandpa being like, yep, this is a good one, like stamp of approval. Emily's always been close to her family. Hello, my name is Emily Meyer. Like, physically close. We live across the street from my parents. You know, I like I said, I grew up upstairs from my grandparents. We live across the street from my parents. Like, four blocks away is my aunt and my grandma. Four blocks away is my brother. <laughs> like, when my, when my aunt moved out to Orland, which is 20 minutes away, it was like a family betrayal. Like, how dare she move so far from us? So yeah, my family is extremely close-knit. So in second grade, when Emily was going to her first dance, it wasn't just a big deal for her. It was a big deal for the whole family. It would have been me, my sister, and then my cousin Betsy was is right in between the two of us, and we all went to grade school together. The dance was 50s-themed, and their mom made sure they were all dressed the part. Being the youngest, I always had, I got to choose last in the colors, so my sister Denise had the pink poodle skirt, and my cousin Betsy had the purple one, and then I had the blue one. And then we all had saddle shoes. We all had um, we all had white button-down shirts, and we all wore our hair in ponytails with the the little um, scarves tied into them. And it was a daddy-daughter dance, which created a little problem for Emily and her sister. I think I remember being disappointed because I feel like that's another. It's another one of those. Okay, well you're the second. <laughs> you're the second one, so you get the second choice. And she chose your dad, so it's grandpa or nothing. They all sat around one of those big, round school lunch tables. And probably everyone danced with everyone over the course of the night. But in the end, Emily says she wound up with the best date of any. So my grandpa subbed in as my um, 
as my date. And it's the very first song that I remember dancing to with him was Suzy Q by Dale Hawkins. I think maybe that's where he started really being my favorite person in the world. Emily says she didn't really think of that song a whole lot after that day, but her relationship with her grandfather only grew. And, you know, later on, my grandpa would be the person who, he's the one who taught me how to drive. He's the one who drove us to school every day. We lived downstairs from my grandparents. So until I was 18, I saw my grandpa almost every day of my life. So he really was a second dad. For more than two decades, her grandpa was a staple in her life. But a year after she graduated from college, she was forced to come to terms with the fact that he wouldn't always be there. And I remember the day that I realized that I would not get to dance with my grandpa on my wedding day. And that was like, I just remember sitting in the corner and just sobbing because he wasn't even like at that point, he was still at home. He was still walking around. He was still talking. But it was just that moment of realization that it wasn't going to happen. Emily's grandpa died in 2006 two years before she started dating the man she'd eventually marry. Sure, that sounds about right. That's Josh. They've been together for seven years and have two adorable little girls. But before they got married, bought a house across the street from Emily's childhood home, and started having kids, their relationship started a lot more simply. So one of the things we used to do is a lot of our relationship grew in the car, so a lot of listening to music. And, you know, if a song was really cute or sweet, we'd be like, oh, I wrote this for you, you know. And, and we would. You know it's true. <laughs> I mean, country, rock, it didn't matter. So when, less than a year after they'd started dating, Christmas came along, Josh came up with what he thought was a great idea. Uh, yeah, I remember because I didn't have a lot of money back then. Uh, and, and I had a lot of burnable CDs and colored pencils. So, uh, it seemed like a win-win. Uh, I did up the whole CD cover. I think I drew a Christmas tree and a wreath on it. And then I did, uh, mistletoe on the inside. And let's see, I think, what else was on there? Foxy Lady. Um, American Woman. American Woman. <laughs> which is, in retrospect, not a very good song <laughs> for, for this kind of thing. But, uh. Well, yeah, when I'm 64 I remember. was on there. Yeah, when I'm 64. While he may have missed with American Woman, he did get one song incredibly right. Suzy Q, the CCR cover of it. I didn't, re it didn't register with me at first until I was like driving home and I had put the CD in the car and I was on the way and then all of a sudden that song came on and it was just like a flood of memories. That song may not have resonated with Emily while her grandpa was alive, but that mix CD brought that 20-year-old memory back in a real way. Susie Q was my grandpa being like, yep, this is a good one. You should keep him. And now she says she can't help but think of dancing with her grandpa whenever she hears it. I think really it represents for me like the first time I remember dancing with my grandpa, that song does. And it also represents to me like all of the times that I've ever danced with my dad or my grandpa because... One of the best parts about my, my dad and my grandpa was, like I said before, like that they never turned down a dance. And that whenever we get invited to weddings, if my parents are invited, I am so much more excited than if it's just Josh and I as much as I love him. Because I know that I'm going to have somebody swinging me around the dance floor. <laughs> I could twirl and dip you. Yeah, exactly. Weird moments. A complete... <laughs> Complete not caring about making a fool of himself is a great quality that my husband has and that my grandpa also had.
For some people, dancing is something we do every now and again to let loose and have fun. For others, it's life. This next story is about how one woman used dancing to deal with some of the hardest moments in her life. Mom would tell me stories about how, you know, they always wondered if they were going to have a child, but she was really, in herself, felt really confident about it because she said she would be sitting in this very room that we're sitting now, and she would see a little girl dancing around, and she knew that was me. Anna has always been a dancer, for as long as she can remember. The thing is, is that I don't, you know, there are sort of little focal points that I remember throughout my childhood. But the thing that I remember is that when I was, when I was three, my mom took me over to the Parkfield house to do dance classes. Her mom, or Mama, about dancing, Mama, as Anna sometimes calls her, was born in Guatemala. She became a nurse and came to America. And it was while she was working to get her nursing certification in this country at a hospital on the northwest side of Chicago that she would meet her future mother-in-law. She knew that she was really ill and that she probably didn't have much longer. So she introduced her nurse to her son who are my parents. After Anna was born, Mama became a stay-at-home mom. And that Park District class, well, it helped Mama, too. The thing was that um, because she'd been here studying and she was always at the hospital, she didn't know a lot of people. She didn't have a lot of friends her age. So what she decided was that she would take me for dance classes so she could meet other moms. Even at that first class, Anna was hooked. And as an only child, her parents would do anything for her. This is what love is about. My very first recital, I came down with the German measles. Not German measles, measles, measles. It was measles. And I was so upset that I couldn't go because I'd been working for this recital. I had the costume and I cried and cried. And my dad said to me, I'll go just so that you know I was there for you, and I'll go and watch it, and I'll come back and tell you what it was about. So there's pictures of me in my costume that day crying, and he came, and my my dad, God bless his heart, went and sat through a stupid recital and came back and told me about it. Anna has so many stories like this, fond memories of that little brick bungalow on the northwest side, memories of sitting and reading with her parents, of walking to school, leaving her mom for the very first time. It's like right half a block away, the grammar school. So she used to sit on the ledge of the front porch and watch me walk to school to make sure that I was okay. And she'd watch me all the way. And from the corner, I could turn around and she would wave to me and I would wave back. I always knew that she was watching to make sure that I got there okay and that um, there wasn't going to be any problems because she wasn't going to let anyone hurt me or bother me. And that was something um, that we always, always did. And she stuck with those dance lessons and found ways to fit it into her school programs. And they said, you know, does anyone have any special talents, you know, that you might like to do, like you, you know, play a tuba or something and we'll fit that in. 
And the only person who raised their hand was me. And I was like, well, I can dance. Anna danced all the way through high school and into college. Performance was her escape, her release. It was my chance once a week to just get away from the horrors of everyday school and just be in a different world. She says it gave her a sense of freedom, like she was flying. We would be dancing. We would literally be doing combinations. And I would start at one end of the room, and I wouldn't even know how I got to the other end. I just didn't know what happened to me in between. I just knew that I was doing this wonderful dancing and it was so, the feeling was so euphoric that I just didn't know what was happening in between until I hit the wall and had to stop and get woo. In college, she spent a summer in England, which led to a job after graduation. And it was the year that Uh, Prince Charles and Princess Diana got married, so I was there for that. She was all ready to begin her new job when it all came to a screeching halt. (sighs) I had hardly, I, it was right after I got back, Dad was away, and he died. It devastated her entire family. You know, I was going to go out and leave home, and, you know, I was 22, and I was going to go out. And I couldn't leave my mom. She was so um, distraught, and she it really hit her hard. And um, so I didn't leave home. I stayed home. For four years, I stayed home and made sure that she was okay. Anna says she stopped dancing and lost sight of her plans to go out into the world. She got a job in Chicago and settled into a routine, keeping her mother company and just working. But then a friend hooked her up with a dance studio near her office. And I started dancing again. And it kind of saved me. And dance became her life once again. I was kind of dancing full time. She started exploring other styles of dancing. Jazz and tap. And it reignited that spark for her. She applied to a postgraduate dance program and was accepted. Um, I took care of her for four years and then I went to London to dance. Anna thrived in London. She got married, went on to get her master's degree, and ended up becoming the registrar of that very dance school that brought her back to England. She says the students loved her and the administration valued her. It was the best job ever, except mom got sick. And just like when her father died, she was faced with a choice her dream life in London, or her family, her mom. And I had to come home. I didn't have to come home. I wanted to come home. She kept telling me to go back and saying, I never told you to come home here to take care of me. I don't need to be taken care of. Um, But she did. We'll hear more of Anna's journey in just a moment. Hey, I wanted to take a quick break to ask for your help. We're looking for more stories, stories from you. Some of our upcoming episodes include stories about pets, art, loss, even hearing. If you have an interesting story about your kids, your parents, your cousins, or anything else, please record a voice memo and email it to Annie at theparentcoop.com. Seriously, guys, Even if you think that you're not interesting and it's just a funny story or a sad story or a weird story, 
just send a memo to me at Annie at theparentcoop.com. All right, back to the show. Anna has always been a dancer her whole life. She even worked at a dance conservatory in London. But when her mom started getting sick back in Chicago, she says there was no question that she would be there for her. She was having hallucinations. She kept thinking that she was hearing music, and she's like, I can't sleep. They're playing the music so loud next door. Of course, there was no music. But she always heard the music. She's like, they're singing. What is She goes, that's... That's that neighbor boy. In fact, even the boy wasn't real. The neighbor boy that she was referring to wasn't even living there anymore. While Anna was making arrangements to come back to the States, the hallucinations just got worse. Her mom became paranoid that someone was coming to attack them. She thought that Anna's cousin, who'd been helping out around the house, was a murderer. She threw her out of the house and said if she didn't leave, she was calling the police because in her mind, she thought that my cousin had killed the younger version of my cousin. She didn't understand that she wasn't the 12-year-old girl anymore. They took her to several doctors to figure out what was going on and finally got someone to explain. They said that um, she certainly did have Alzheimer's. and In fact... Um, She'd probably she had it for quite a while. In the middle stages. Um, but they said she probably has about 18 good months left of that. Anna settled into the task of getting her mom the help she needed. She began sorting through bills, coordinating doctors, and trying to keep as much of mama with her as she could. One of the things that I found later on was I found this little diary that she had been keeping when I was living overseas. And I only read part of it because it was so so deeply personal. I kind of felt it's something that I'll read when she's gone. But she would put in there things about how I talked to Anna tonight and I miss her and she seems to be okay or this is happening or I'm really excited because we're going to visit Anna and whatever. And it really broke my heart because when I read it, I realized how, how much longer that she had probably been ill and not, and not diagnosed. But Mama just kept getting harder and harder to handle. And she kept saying, you need to take me to the bank. They're stealing the money out of my bank account. You need to take me. I'm like, Mama, no, it's okay. The problem was, as much as Mama's mind was losing the details, confusing the way she saw the world around her, her body still worked. She started wandering, claiming she needed to meet a friend in the park. I said to the nurse practitioner, I said, we haven't slept in 48 hours. I said, I have literally been in bed holding her, trying to prevent her from leaving the house. And then during the day, trying to circumnavigate anything that she was doing, walking outside with her to make sure that she couldn't wander or get away. It was so hard, and I was still working part-time. Um, and it was, it was just the most, it was exhausting. Finally, they were able to find a hospital that could admit Mama to really give her the attention she needed. The nurse practitioner called and said, I've got a bed for her. It was a locked-down ward 
where the doctors could monitor her symptoms and try to find medicine that would help her mind function again. And um, I had to leave her there. And it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do because she was so angry with us. She's like, don't leave me here. Don't leave me by myself. What are you doing? Anna says as tired as she was, she wanted to be with her mom as much as she could. I brought Scrabble. We'd go and I we'd play Scrabble and she'd make these weird nonsense words. I go, great. And then, you know, like, because then I was starting to understand that she really wasn't rational and that I needed to stop thinking that that was going to work when we were trying to do things. And I would quite literally stay with her until it was time for her to be changed and put into bed and I would do it my you know I would help her get changed and put her pajamas and put her into bed and turn the light out and then I would sit with her she'd sit there until mama fell asleep then have the nurses unlock the ward so she could go home um and sometimes you know it would be almost midnight and I would drive home sleep and then go to work the next day and we'd do the whole thing over again and that was for about a month. Um, it was really hard. The stress really took its toll. My hair started to go gray. She wasn't eating well. On the way home, I'd buy something, bring it home, and I would just sit in front of the TV and just zone out. And of course, there was no time for dancing. Finally, the doctors found a combination of medicines that evened out Mama's moods, enough that she could go home. But that presented a new set of problems. So when they let her out, I was then had to be home all the time with her. Anna tried senior daycare, in-home caregivers, but her mom was not interested. So she worked out an arrangement with her cousin so she could at least get a few hours each week to herself. We kind of worked out the thing of like, okay, I'm going to take this class on this day and this class. If you can be here and then you can go out the rest of the time. And the dancing, well, it brought her back to life for a bit. So that was kind of the only time where I could be somewhere and I would just not be thinking about anything except doing that. So having gone through that whole thing with my dad and coming back to dancing just because I needed to do something to normalize myself and, you know, sometimes just not think. It kept her sane. So that was the sort of thing that was saving me and keeping me um, from totally um, losing uh, my mind. Her mom continued to decline. She got weaker and began having accidents. She started having lots of falls, and there was problems, and there were lots of issues. And quite literally, I think in the space of a month, um, we took her to the hospital five times um, because she kept having falls. Anna realized she just couldn't do this without help. We got her a new caregiver who was really for both of us a savior because she spoke spanish so she could because mom was reverting more and more to her um, native language but even with a caregiver she could trust anna says her role her identity it changed i became her mother 
she does sometimes um, call me mama or thinks that I'm her mother. So that's what I became. I became my mother's mother um, when I was here. And her, her defender, her advocate. But she never stopped being a dancer. It may have retreated back into her at times when she had to become her mother's support. But it was who she was. And even as Mama has declined, they dance. What we do is something that I call cheer dancing. Cheer dancing is when the music is really good and I dance while she holds my hand and watches me. Anna says there's one night that will stick with her forever. Honestly, we were watching, we were like watching Masterpiece Theater, but I'm like, oh, mom, we gotta watch Halftime Super Bowl. It was the year that Bruno Mars was the halftime Bruno show. Bruno Mars was two years, three years ago. Anna says they had she such a blast. She is like giving me the hands, and she's grooving, and she's shaking. And you know, that was probably the last time that she really, really did that. In those moments, you can see that little girl that Mama envisioned so long ago, dancing in that same living room. The carpet's a little worn down and the girl's grown up, but that vision came true over and over again. So that's who she is, a dancer, a daughter, and in a way, a mother. And really, that's what she's been for years. All those flights back and forth, all those phone calls, the paperwork, coordinating doctors, medicine, sleepless nights, and exhausting drives. She was doing what you do for the most important people in your life. It's about the waving thing. It's like whenever she would put me on the plane for me to go back to England, I'd go through security and she'd still be there after I'd gone through all the security checks waving and I could still see her. And I'd be putting on my shoes and getting my backpack and getting myself redressed after security. And if she couldn't see me, my cousin would be there and I'd wave so that they could see me. And I could see sometimes Mia pointing to her and going, look, there she is. And then she'd start waving again. And as I walked away from security to go towards the gate, she would be there waving until the very last minute when they couldn't see me anymore. I'm going to do that for her. I'm going to wave right until the end. I really will. And then I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The Parent Coop is myself and my amazing husband, Chris Waljasper, with help and inspiration from our two adorable and crazy kids, Lucy and Fritz. Special thanks to the wonderful Emily and Josh and Anna and her sweet mama. Most of the music on this episode was composed by Kevin McLeod. Do you like what you're hearing? We're planning to put out six more episodes for this first season, so look for our next episode in a couple of weeks. We'd like to say that we're going to be on a strict schedule, but let's be real, parenting happens. So, follow The Parent Coop on Facebook and Instagram, 
and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And of course, tell a friend.